There are also those who out of the bush into the office and uh, they only know that they realize we have that big car, I must remain in this office. Yeah. We have that big house, I must remain in this office. To have the money that I'll stash away in some Swiss account, I must remain in this office. So they don't see, this is a big lesson, they don't see life beyond the presidency. You know, in the Western countries, it has become that you become poorer when you enter politics. But in Africa, this is where the money is. The opposite. That needs to change. Happy Wednesday and welcome to the Brentes Foundation podcast. This is the platform where we talk about the African continent's biggest and most pressing issues and leverage best practice, not just on what to do, but how to do it. I'm your host, Marina Wongokulo, and it's a pleasure to be here with you today. Today's show is going to be an interesting one, and I will be speaking with Daniel Makokera. Daniel is a well-known face across Africa and has worked as journalist, television anchor, producer, and conference presenter for over 20 years. Throughout his career as presenter and anchor, he has traveled widely across the continent and held exclusive interviews with some of the continent's most illustrious leaders, including former UN Secretary General Kofi Annan, former South African presidents Nelson Mandela and Thabo Mbeki, former Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi, and many others. He's joining us today to share some lessons from his travels around the continent, interviewing heads of states and key decision makers on the continent as part of his production, Eye on Africa, amongst others. He's also here to share a few tips for upcoming journalists working on African stories. Without further ado, let's tune into the conversation with Daniel Makokera. Daniel Makokera, thanks so much for joining me today. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on here on the Brentus Foundation podcast. Um, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you, Marie Noel. <laughs> All right, so you're always up to doing interesting stuff around or engaged in interesting projects. What are you up to lately? What's keeping you busy? Well, you know, we, um, we've been busy with COVID, to be honest. Yeah. It is <laughs> and our lives upside down. Yeah. But uh, with that, we have learned to, uh, to innovate, uh, adopt, adapt, and maybe reject some of the things that uh, no longer work. For example, we're all working from home. Yeah. We now realize that we can do a lot of stuff without going into a big office. I, I really do feel sorry for those in the office space business because I think uh, I think beyond COVID, I don't think that uh, uh, many people will be going back to offices. Yeah. What has happened also in our, for us is that uh, uh, the travel budget uh, was the biggest expense in our, uh, in our, our, as far as our costs are concerned. And uh, that has gone down very much. A crew of three, I mean, imagine being on, uh, getting on a flight uh, getting into a hotel and then you have to pay DM these guys and if you're spending yeah. a week and if you're going to interview a president, there's not always uh, a correct time or a set time. It's the president who will see you when he sees you. So mm -hmm. you might spend two weeks in a country and the ticket is going. So um, things have changed a little bit, but yes, we're still busy telling the African story. Our motto is that we want to tell the true African story. And the true African story is probably not what um, our friends from uh, other medias from the Western uh, world probably, uh, we do, we're not on the same page, or as uh, the millennials would say, we, we, we're really not on the same, same WhatsApp page. We, we, look, we, try and look, <laughs> we try and look at the stories uh, from a very different angle, and uh, we want to tell a story that resonates with Africans, 
And uh, we want to tell a true story that we work with the African Union, we work with the United Nations, we work with African governments, and also we are in the developmental sector. So we're still doing that, telling that African story. That, I think, for a long time has not been told. I think, really, this uh, marine oil is, uh, is probably a legacy from our ancestors who believed in not recording history, I think, by, by writing, but rather by sitting around a bonfire and telling the story. And you have then found that outside come and tell our story. We try, we try and close that gap and say, we will tell this story by Africans, for Africans, from Africa. I love that so much. And that's actually exactly where I wanted us to start this conversation. And it's good to hear why that's important to you. So I think maybe one of the other places that we could start is one of your flagship programs in Africa, which is big. I mean, I remember that was on DSTV and everything. You met yes. so many interesting people, spoke about so many different political economic issues. Can you share a little bit about you know, some of the big lessons you learned from interacting with some of these people one-on-one um, and what you think, you know, the future of our continent is if some of these people are still the ones that are trying to, at least on some front, define that narrative. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I've learned a lot about the people who are in power. I've learned a lot about uh, the grandmother who is resilient and uh, with the advent of HIV and AIDS, was, had become again a mother, and at times a mother and a, and a father, because uh, people died of HIV and AIDS, and she now had to go back and become uh, knowing things about budgeting and budgeting for young kids who are going to school and all that. So it's very interesting that what I have learned across, I, I assumed I knew Africa up until I started again going and having these stories uh, told. One myth I need to dispel from the onset, uh, Noel, is that. Um, there's a lot of good that's happening on this continent. A lot of good. Yeah. And you know what? What I tell, what I tell my colleagues from the West, because really, um, they they have a bit a misconception about uh, how Africa works. Mm-hmm. So I, t- I I tell them even in Somalia, you know, because their view of Somalia is that they remember the Black Hawk falling, you know, of course, the American yeah. Black Hawk falling, right? Uh, so even in Somalia, there are good things happening. So I try and educate people this. But what also I've noticed is that uh, at a very maybe soft, personal stories is that these leaders are as human as us. Mm. They feel, they hurt, they like to be appreciated. I mean, someone has been telling me to write a, a, to write a book and I said, well, maybe it's not good. Maybe let's allow some of these leaders to go out of power. Then I will really tell my story. <laughs> I've leaders who tell me, Oh, you know, Daniel, someone touched me and I felt good. I'm thinking, my goodness, if your people were to hear this, they wouldn't believe because they see you as a god, you yeah. know? So those are the things that I learned from behind the scenes. But also, um, we at times are so hard. This is one thing again I learned. We are so hard on our leadership that we think they are not doing something. Mm. Um, they are working hard. They are trying to change lives. And this, let me just uh, put a caveat there and say, by this, I do not mean that there's no corruption. I don't mean that there's, there, there, are, no, there are people who are probably are not imaginative. Mm. There are people who don't know what they're doing. No, that's all there too. Yeah. But by and large, we have a leadership that's committed to trying to better the lives of their people. Mm-hmm. What probably people at times do not understand, a big lesson I learned also is that uh, 
the advent of uh, the global village meant that you can't be an island as a nation. Mm -hmm. There are many influences that come. So, for example, what am I saying? If I decide as President Makokera, I hope that's providential and uh, maybe one day I'll become one. If I decided as President, as President Makokera, I am going to do A, B, C, D for my people, and I'm, not, I'm going to put cotton in my ears and not listen to anyone. You will have a few people, like the Bretton Woods institutions coming to you and say, we need to talk. You will have a few powerful nations in the West who say, we need to talk. And when they say that, they probably have already surrounded you with a discussion with their other people. So you're actually just a pawn in a big game as a nation. So nations can't be alone anymore. For example, yeah. so I piece off the United States of America. Because I'm a small country, they probably don't want to come to me. Maybe I don't have oil. Some people think when you have oil, it's a curse, and you are then getting in trouble. The United States will say, well, Britain, you used to own this little place called Zimbabwe, for example. So this guy is being a nuisance. Can you do A, B, C, D? And then we know you want something in A, B, C country. We'll deal with it that way. So as much as our leaders are trying to uplift us, they are dealing behind the scenes with issues that we don't know what they're dealing with. And some of those issues, they actually can't come off it. Some are still paying off the debts that the World Bank, the IMF, gave them years ago. And if you're paying off a debt and you're trying also to make sure that your priorities in the country are looked after, at times it's very difficult. So at face value, we might see things as going very slowly, and yet we don't know what's happening. That's what I learned by just hanging around, listening. And, you know, it's that discussion that happens after the cameras and the lights are off, where you get to see, my goodness, I thought getting into these big cars, big offices, you're actually living it up. These guys do not sleep, some of them. Huh. So I, I learned that in the background. But I did learn that they actually mean well. Now, before some from the 40 states start attacking me, there are also those who, out of the bush, into the office, and uh, they only know, that, that they realize to have that big car, I must remain in this office. To have that big house, I must remain in this office. To have the money that I'll stash away in some Swiss account, I must remain in this office. So they don't see, this is a big lesson, they don't see life beyond the presidency. You know, in the Western countries, it has become that you become poorer when you enter politics. But in Africa, this is where the money is. The opposite. That needs to change. Yeah, that needs to change. And also I think, Noel, I really think you and I have a job and maybe I shouldn't put you in my WhatsApp group. Um, <laughs> you should. I'm you, the millennials, the millennials should make sure that as we go along, the big men, the big woman mentality must change. So if I'm a president, I am, a, I, if you cut me, I bleed the same blood you, you bleed if we were to be cut, right? Yeah. So let's not elevate these people to a point whereby they are the untouchables. You know, the hangers-on, I call them the people around the presidents, the hangers-on make these people believe they are now superhuman. Mm. And you know, after being in office for 15, 20, 30 years, you start believing it yourself. Oh, yeah. Right? 
And once you, once you have done that, this is what I, I learned really hanging around. Once you've done that, it's very difficult for them to believe they can again be normal and uh, go and live in a five-bedroom house or four bedrooms because you're now in, um, uh, the nest is empty, the kids have gone, right? Yeah. And retire and enjoy the grandkids and everything. I don't see many African leaders believing that that's an option. They believe in dying in office, uh, which really, it shouldn't be. But I think the peoples of the continent need to learn to now deal with this. And it can only go, we need a certain generation to pass on. Because my generation was raised to exalt a leader. I refuse because I'm just a, I'm a rock. But we were raised to exalt a leader. But this thing, again, it's also cultural. In a, in a small, a nucleus family, in a small home, father is king. In the village, the, the headman is, is king. In the province, the chief is king. And you know, he really is a king. And we think we can transpose that to running a 21st century governance where people pay money to, uh, for taxes and we still think we can live like a king. The kings are the taxpayers, not the other way around. Right. But in Africa, we still are stuck there. So I think I've blabbled a lot. <laughs> no, that's definitely <laughs> interesting. And I think, as you mentioned, we don't often hear that, you know, some of, some of them are really good and trying to do work. It's just that sometimes the circumstances around them, the global headwinds they have to do with, the, the legacy debts and other things do stand in the way, which is also true. Um, but there yeah. are also some of the quote-unquote bad apples that make it a bit of a tough sell as well. So we have a mix of both, but mm -hmm. uh, sort of we aspire to create more of, I guess, good leaders, better leaders for the continent. Um, and I think one of the things you mentioned is, you know, some of, the people, I guess the younger ones holding leaders accountable. How do you imagine that looking like on the continent? Um, would it have to be completely disruptive? Does it not have to be disruptive? What does holding them accountable look like, especially in some countries where for lots of people that could mean risking your life? Uh, you, you, you're very right. Uh, you're very right. Uh, it's, it's not easy. Uh, like I said earlier, you know, I think probably we might need to see a certain generation disappear. I think the winds of change are beginning to blow. You know, I, I know you want to touch later uh, about Zambia, but uh, uh, there, there are three mayors in Zambia uh, who came in with this recent uh, uh, past election uh, who are under 30. 27, I think 28 and 29. Yeah. Now, that tells you something is happening. And, and, and what I like about it is that these young people are being elected at the, where government matters, local government. That's where it matters, mm -hmm. right? So, and if we are beginning to build institutions from yeah. bottom up, if the young people are beginning to understand our institutions need to be strong where delivery happens. Because then, Noel, what I can tell you then is those mayors were put into power by young people. They were not put into power by old people. So there is now a people that's beginning to infiltrate government from the bottom yeah. upwards and beginning to build institutions of governance from ground up. Yeah. Maybe then it's not difficult 
for this mayor one day when he's president at 35, at 40, to understand that my millennials are talking about this. They will be speaking the same language. Yeah. The struggle we're facing is Noel is trying to tell Nana Kufado that, hey, listen, men, leave, get on with the action. And they say, what is this little girl trying to tell me? <laughs> so there is a, a, a generational gap that is happening that we, we, we don't understand. Noel, I, I need to give you an article. I, I, my, I hired a young lady from the, uh, uh, from, the uh, from Vitz University. She had just finished her master's. Right. Yeah. The people who had been in my office were pretty much, they're not, they were not my age, but they were slightly older than this young lady I hired. Right? And um, so she came in. And our meetings usually, and, I, and I'm telling you at my level, so just imagine what it is. I run a small outfit, I'm about 10, 15 people, but this small outfit, right? In our meetings, when everybody's addressing me, it's Mr. Makokeda, Mr. Makokeda. This kid comes, kid, quote unquote, I call it that, she's my, this kid comes, we're in a meeting and she says, but then I just think we're talking nonsense. Then this, then that, and everybody's looking at her and speaking. Well, why do you get to call this dude Dan? <laughs> right? <laughs> I went into my office and I, I, got, I felt battered after that meeting. This is me, Daniel, right? Small guy. That's what I mean. I felt battered by this young lady and I felt culturally, I felt very shocked. She's calling me Dan, this, Dan, that, and she has no boundaries. She's just telling me what she feels like. I sat down and I spoke to Daniel. Daniel spoke to Daniel. Yes. And I said, Daniel, um, it's the 21st century. Millennials, unapologetic, unthankful, don't care at them. <laughs> okay? So this is what's going to happen. Deal. Either adopt and adapt or be left behind. But the train is moving. And this is the new train. So we are, I'm answer, trying to answer your question on how do we do this. I just believe we need to build from top from bottom to top, because to, we can have a generational thing. The other thing we can do, if this is a culture shock, but it's coming, it's happening. I gave you an example of these mayors who are under 30, uh, who are occupying. These are not far-flung cities in Zambia that they're occupying, that they're running. They'll be running serious cities with a big budget. Mm -hmm. And these are, these are cotton kids. My, pe my People my generation say, these are kids, right? But these are now our leaders uh, running cities. Yeah. That's one way. The other way, I think President Kagame does this well and he's been doing it. Uh, President Kagame has worked on a generational mix approach. So Daniel is uh, the Minister of Finance. Mm -hmm. Noel will be brought in as the Secretary of that department. Noel is basically learning mm -hmm. how to do things. And Daniel knows the moment Noel is hired, uh, Dan Daniel knows in the next two, three, four, five yeah. years, I'm out. I'm out. And I think you can see it. President Kagami's, uh, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, she, he hired a, a lady uh, to be the chief of staff in the president's office, and she was under 40. Under 40. Mm -hmm. you find this a lot in Rwanda. Um, there's a lady, I think she's now in, an, in another different but big office, I think the prime minister's office. She... Uh, was the number three in the finance department. This is the heartbeat of the country. This is this is where this is this is the cash money box, mm -hmm. huh? right? But this lady also was young 
But there were ministers who were slightly older than her, deputy minister. So around her, she had this wealth of information and wisdom and knowledge that she was getting. But the idea, if you want to read the room, the painting is on the wall, Madala, time to move. Mm -hmm. So get ready. If you haven't built that uh, retirement home in the village, build it now because the message is coming. You will be leaving. The young ones are taking. These young ones will build institutions and those institutions will be very different from the institutions of people of my generation. I think that's probably the only way we might change. Because as you rightly say, if you see those people who try and speak truth to our challenge from, some of them, it does not end well. Yeah. No, definitely. That's good perspective. And I appreciate the fact that you're hopeful about the youth. I think sometimes when you speak to other people, it's like these, you know, social media warriors who just own this and that. Uh, so it's, it's really interesting uh, to hear um, that you're particularly you know, hopeful about upcoming leadership and also trying to create ways for both, if I can say, generations of people to learn from each other but also to understand that you know it's moving and as they're coming in you might be moving out and it's not a bad thing um they're bringing new ways of doing things and we just need to think together and try to make those you know good better tough decisions that we need to make to get countries african countries to where we need indeed noel i am very hopeful that the young people will take us forward yeah um but it won't be the world we people of my generation know. But that's okay. Mm. That's okay. The, 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 the only thing, uh, people say, the only thing that's constant is change. We are, as the generation of yesteryear, are very scared of change. We like the familiar things. That's definitely an interesting take, and I'm very cognizant of the time. But speaking of new things, so uh, just recently, His Excellency Hakende Hichilema won presidency um, in Zambia, which is like after what, like the fifth or sixth attempt? Like that, yeah. that alone wasn't just surprising. But the other more interesting part was for his inauguration. He chose to invite opposition leaders from other countries, which is, if you're talking about a departure from the norm or something very different. That was one of them. What are your thoughts on that? And do you, you know, have some information about how, you know, I guess sitting leaders are receiving um, this and what message is, is that trying to put across? <laughs> I think I, I think it's trying to catch up with the millennials. And mm. I, I applaud him for that, right? He, he is trying to say, I think this is, I'll, try, I'll start from his uh, um, messaging. I think he's trying to say, um, Look, this, I come from the opposition. I, um, these were my friends in the trenches. We were all struggling together. Mm -hmm. You can't tell me today that I must dump my friends because all of a sudden I'm now His Excellency, the President yeah. of the Republic. You can't tell me that. So, great message. He might be ahead of his time. That's all I think. Mm. He might be ahead of his time. Why am I saying this, Noel? I'm saying this because um, that's a club you are entering. Yeah. Right? That's a club. It has a few rules. And, you know, scratch my back, I scratch yours. Now, if you're scratching the opposition's back, and yet you are now on this other side, can I trust you? For example... We are going, this is a SADC summit, summit happens and the chairman sits and say, we are going to discuss the issue of uh, 
Botswana. Mm -hmm. There is something going on in Botswana. They're saying that there's no open space for, um, for the opposition parties, and, 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 and. And we want to discuss this as the heads of state and parliament. What do you think the president of Botswana is going to say? I think he's going to say this. Mr. Chairman, I hear you, but we have a snitch amongst us. Because, you know, remember the things that are discussed in some of these things. Even media is told, okay, media, take you. You've had your photo opportunity. Go out now. This happened to me mm. hundreds of times. We leave. The presidents are now talking secrets of the family, of the region, right? But now, what's when a president who raises his hand and say, uh, Mr. Chairman, I hear you, but we have a snitch amongst us. How do I know HH from here is not going to call his friend in my country and tell him, remember, the strategy now is this because we have discussed this. That's why I think HH probably did not quite work out his strategy. And I don't know whether it was just uh, naivety of the new incumbency, right? I'm saying this with the heavy due respect that's owed to the... Uh, Republic's president, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know, because it hampers issues, because there are issues that heads of state and government discuss that's not supposed to leave the room. Yeah. Now, he, he showed his hand and now people know. Now people know. What I also think he did, <clears throat> by trying to show that he's supportive of these guys, he killed them back at their base. He kind of destroyed the, um, the mystery about who supports these guys. They are all supported by the president of Zambia. Yeah. So if you hear them now not flying to South Africa, they're flying to Zambia, we know what's happening. They're going straight to State House and they will be received with uh, open arms and they will be talking state secrets to opposition parties. Yeah. And you know what's interesting? He himself will quickly realize he doesn't want certain secrets to be out in the open. So if he doesn't want, what makes him think that with his own opposition, because the party that has gone out is now in opposition, would he like it if someone, some president invited that guy? He probably will answer yes, because he has done it, right? But deep down, what are you talking about? With my enemy, my brother, we eat together. You know, when you're doing a state visit, you go and visit the state and the, the, the custodian of the state is the president of the republic. You don't go to oppositions. You might meet with the opposition to talk, but your counterpart is not the leader of the opposition. Your counterpart is the president of the republic. So I just don't know how that will play out down the road. But seriously, he might have just, uh, without knowing it, he might have just destroyed some of the advances that the politicians did. Am I saying he should not be friends with opposition parties? Let me tell you. And something I learned going around on the continent is that a lot of sitting heads of state are friends with certain opposition parties, and they're probably funding them and saying, I don't like that guy, he's silly. I'll give you money to unseat him. But it's done Nicodemusly. So I don't know. Mm. Uh, he was trying to be progressive. But uh, statecraft, Noel, body politic, uh, how you maneuver and navigate that maze, uh, it's not for the faint-hearted. And it's not for the naive. I see. No, that's definitely but an I, interesting take. 
So I think he might struggle with that. He might not be trusted. And remember, <laughs> you know, these presidents are coming on uh, in your country with a plane full of people. They're all called uh, people who support the president. I don't know how many of those remained in his country. Because they say, listen, we now need spooks to be watching this guy. So come with me, but you guys are not coming back. You're staying. Sniff around. See what he's doing. So I don't know how many spooks were left in Zambia with all those presidents that went there. <laughs> Quite a lot. You know? Like I say, I think he's ahead of his time. I think he's dealing with an old club. I think he's dealing with an unchanged, hardened, male-dominated space uh, that might not be ready to embrace. Mm. But still, I think uh, President uh, HH might, uh, might, might just probably want to relook at that. Yeah. He must see his friends. He must have his friends. But I just think maybe he shouldn't have done that, in my opinion. But then again, who am I? It would be interesting to see how that plays out. I definitely, I mean, it was, you know, it's one of those things that's like, well, that's very different from the normal. It's like, okay, that's also very interesting. So I, it would be good to it see is. how he plays with, you know, the whole basically political economy around being a president and the relations with yes. others and what that means. Um, I mean, I think, you know, having encountered him on quite a number of occasions, he does have quite a bit of diplomacy and air around him. So I'm sure he resolved that all right. But again, uh, it would be good to hear. And maybe in your next interview, if you get to speak with one of them, let's hear what they have to say, one of the presidents, what they have to say about this. De definitely. I, I'm, I agree with you, Noel. You know, uh, you notice that, uh, I don't know whether you picked this up, the president of uh, Zimbabwe immediately made a comment, even before going for the inauguration, that let no opposition party in my country think that what has happened in uh, Zambia will happen here. The military will not allow it. I believe that uh, I'm quoting him loosely. But uh, I believe that to that effect, right? So what is he saying? Even if you win, the military will tell you that you have not won. So, which, by the way, makes Zambia look like a real shining example in, uh, yeah. uh, in this region. Because uh, it, there has been, I mean, the, the founding father of Zambia was unseat by an opposition party, by Frederick Shiluba. And, uh, and, 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 and nothing caved in. Life continued. So, I mean, they are, they are teaching us a bit of a, of, a, of a lesson. Tanzania is a different uh, kettle of fish. I mean, it's still the same Chama Chama music. So, you know, you can't really say there's been any revolutionary stuff that has happened. It's the revolutionaries of yesterday who are still continuing with the legacy of uh, leading. But in and Botswana, it's the same like Zambia, same party, still just changing. But Zambia, it's actually opposition parties getting into power. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, it would be interesting to see. Definitely would be. It would, be, it would also be interesting to see if anyone else does that moving forward. And if it does change the way things are done, or is, we just obviously hope that it doesn't become like a political gimmick. If I can give you two minutes, <laughs> what would you say to people that are, you know, sort of looking to come up in that space and looking to tell the African story? Um, do you have some advice for, you know, young journalists in this space? Quick, quick, quick points, and uh, we can delve deeper into this. I, it, it's a passion of mine. This is a field where you need to start from the bottom and grow. Mm. And you need to learn, you need to pay your dues, as it yeah. were. Um, but the best way of telling a story is to let the subject tell its story. You're yeah. doing it so great today. You allowed me, your subject, to tell my story. 
The reason why you allow me to tell the story is you have the opportunity of getting proximity with me, which your listener and viewer does not have. Mm -hmm. So you represent that. You become to that. You become that person. We know you are an educated person. That's why we hired you. So that's done. Pack it there. Do it. Simplify things for those who can't meet the president. That's my job. My job is to simplify things because I have the opportunity to meet the privilege to meet these people. My viewer will never in their lives probably meet this person in, in person, right? So you simplify the story. It's about allowing the subject to tell the story. Simplify the story. We know you're smart, but don't try and prove it on, on air. We know that already. That's why you are hired, okay? But simplify the story. Also, demeanor is important if you're doing a story on this continent. Hmm. I've told you about the generational gap. I interviewed President Mugabe three times in, uh, in my life. Every time he, he would say, let's get a picture. Come, let's get a picture. He would ask to have a picture uh, taken with, with, with him and I because I, I, he never felt I offended him. But guess what, Noel? Every time I asked every question, I prepared to ask him. Mm. I'll give you an example. Mr. President, I don't know whether this has reached your ears. Now, this is the punchline. They say, they, you know what that does, uh, Noel? With the moment you say they say, it's not you saying it. I am not accusing him. I'm saying, I don't know whether this has reached your ears. They say that you have an account in, uh, in Switzerland. Do you know how that, that relaxes a person? Yes, Daniel, that's what they say. But you know, this account, we opened it so we could do this, do this, do this. What have I done? He's told me this. Is there an account? Pick. What is the account for? Pick. I take my jacket, I put it on my shoulder, I go home, I've done my job. But I have not offended the man. Mm -hmm. Demeanor, know where you are, and do it safely. You still get what you want. I always say, the biggest problem we have is we went to, either they came to us, mainly our Western lecturers, or we went to the Western world, and we were taught, as a journalist, your first job is to be antagonistic towards the establishment. It turns there's no need. We need to learn not to be antagonistic, but still telling the story. You know what? Western journalists do better than the presidents, and they arrest people. The culture accepts it. You come and do that with the local president here, yeah, he will just say, Putsak. and then he will, tell, he will tell his people, I never want to be interviewed by that president again. With that person again, you have lost the story. Demeanor, you're starting from the bottom and, um, and uh, tell your story uh, in, a, in a very simplified way. The difference between electronic media, the difference between electronic media and a newspaper is that a newspaper, if you do not get the sense of the sentence or the gist, you go back. On radio and TV, you hear it, it's gone. It's gone. Simplicity, short sentences. Yeah. Uh, one thought in one sentence. That's what you do, right? Yeah. And also, you must know when a story has changed. This is where I want to leave this. I think we can go on forever. Know when a story has changed. Think on your feet. A journalist should think on their feet. Should think on their feet. I don't know how many times I have to say that. There's a story that's told, it was told to me as a young journalist at the SABC by a CNN uh, assignment editor. He says he went to Ireland, Northern Ireland, 
And uh, he noticed that, uh, I don't know whether, maybe it's before your time, Noel, but way back when you were parking in the street, there were metered parking where you put a five cents or a 10 cents, and then it goes, and it gives you 30 minutes of parking. That used to happen, but maybe before your time. So in Ireland, these, all these meter heads were, uh, were taken off, right? But he never saw a story on CNN that said that these things have happened. So he goes to visit the editor and then they're going for lunch and he says, it's interesting, there are no, um, these meter, meter heads have been taken away. Why? He says, oh, because the IRA, the Irish Republican Army, we're putting bombs in there. So you put a 10 cents and when you, when you turn it, it blows up, it kills people. And then he said, why haven't I seen a story like that on CNN? He says, ah, it's just an old story. He said from that day, that's when he learned that correspondence should be rotated. Not, the idea way back was old fashioned to say, if you put someone in a place, they learn that place, they know the nuance, they know how to tell the story. But then he said, no, no, no. I realized you become numb to the story. So you need fresh eyes. So let's just yeah. Thank you, Noah. Thank you, Daniel Wakakaya. We could definitely talk for ages. Again, it's been a pleasure having you on. <laughs> I look forward to more conversations in the future. I am. Uh, I can't wait for the next one. <laughs> All right, Daniel. Have a wonderful <laughs> rest of the day. And that brings us to the end of the chat today. That was CEO of Pamuzinda Productions, Daniel Makokera, ever the engaging and exciting interlocutor. As always, let us know what you think by engaging our handles on social media and share this within your network. It might spark an interesting conversation or two. Again, thank you so much for joining me. I'm your host, Marie Noel, and it's a pleasure sharing this time with you. Until next week, stay well and stay safe.